0: You're listening to the One Small Bite Podcast with me, your host, David Roscoe. For over a decade, I have built a successful nutrition practice helping thousands of people thrive, nourish their life, and break the cycle of crazy diets. We will take one small bite at a time to transform your health and develop a positive relationship to food. So let's chop the diet mentality, fuel your body, and nourish your soul. Okay, are you Ready? Let's do this. Hola, todos. ¿Qué tal? This is your host, David Orozco, with the One Small Bite Podcast. In this podcast, we take an anti-diet, self-compassion-driven, intuitive eating, body-positive, and weight-inclusive approach to help people make peace with food, their bodies, and their health. And we also help you try to eat more in line with your values so we get away from that weight stigmatization that we are so driven by in this diet culture. In today's episode 87, I'm bringing to you today an interview with A colleague of mine, Donna Shields, she's a registered dietitian-nutritionist and co-founder of Holistic Cannabis Academy. She is also a cannabis consultant. She's done various online training programs for health practitioners. She's worked in the U.S. Army Medical Corps and as a spokesperson For various Fortune 100 food brands, she is also a freelance food and nutrition writer, has co-authored several books and cookbooks, including Contributor to the Cannabis Kitchen Cookbook. Donna consults with the cannabis industry. She offers cannabis retreats for professionals, that's cool, and is currently focused on helping health practitioners in the U.S. and Europe And we get to talk about more subjects, more ideas about cannabis, how it impacts our health, and what we really need to know about everything cannabis. We go into a deeper dive because I got a lot of questions From episode 79, if you haven't yet heard that episode, that also was a great introduction to cannabis. And so Donna, in this episode, is going to take us through some of the same ideas, concepts, and myths about cannabis and talk to us a little bit more about what the Holistic Cannabis Academy is helpful for, the two arms, one for practitioners and one for people, and consumers. We also talk about the three main uses, primary uses for marijuana and cannabis, so stay tuned for that. We talk about THC levels, and we also talk about CBD, and of course, we talk about regulations and how all of this is affecting us, what to do, where to get CBD, and what to look out for, which is all so beneficial for all of us that are looking to CBD as an important way to help us with various health conditions. I'm really excited because we are dive a little bit deeper, and you'll love to hear her slogan at the end and how she approaches working with people so that they can use cannabis, CBD, marijuana, Um, in a way that is very beneficial to their health. So stay tuned to that because we've got some great concepts, great information from Donna. I'm really excited. Before we get started, I just wanted to remind you that this show is brought to you by my nutrition practice, TD Wellness, where we are anti-diet, intuitive eating, weight-inclusive, body-positive type of nutrition practice so if you're tired of the rat race of diet culture and weight loss weight regain we are the group that can help you through that challenge feel free to contact us at tdwellness.com click the contact us and leave us a message but what would be great if you can leave us a review scroll down give us some stars leave us some review remember those help us get out to more people all right folks let's get started with the interview Hi, Donna. How are you?
1: I'm great, David. Nice to nice to chat with you today.
0: Yeah, excellent. I'm so glad to have you on. I'm so excited to have you on. I'd love for people to get to know a little bit about you. Can you tell them um, who you are, how you got to doing stuff around cannabis and where you are now?
1: Sure. Well, as you know, I'm a registered dietitian like you and I have been for my entire career, but Uh, I actually started out in a very traditional way. I was a dietitian in the U.S. Army, medical corps. Ooh,
0: cool, okay. So
1: that's, as you can imagine, that's quite a path uh, from that to being the co-founder of the Holistic Cannabis Academy, and uh, I've had a very interesting career in between. Um, Food has always been my thing. I actually taught for a while at the Culinary Institute of America. Up in New York, so I have a really heavy culinary background. And uh, what got me into cannabis was actually a breast cancer diagnosis. Mm. And about seven years ago, as I talked to oncologists and breast surgeons to ask what they knew about cannabis in terms of uh, managing pain, anxiety, et cetera, well, everyone looked at me like I had three heads, <laughs> and I realized then ah, there's an opportunity to build something, a program that would help educate and train health practitioners because there was such a gap. And that's what really led to the development of the Holistic Cannabis Academy.
0: Mm, Okay. Can we talk a little bit about the Holistic Cannabis Academy? What is it? And what do you do? Is it just for providers?
1: No, well, actually, that's a great question because we started out thinking it would be just for practitioners. That that's really the philosophy behind it. But as time went on, we found that what we call kind of curious consumers have <laughs> have drifted our way too. Okay. Um, and so what what it is is an online curriculum, a training program that is all self paced and it really looks at cannabis through this holistic lens. And what we have found that was lacking in the marketplace was there's certainly plenty of places you can go to learn about cannabis, but they're all very one dimensional. It's all about the cannabis. And I, I'm thinking to myself, you know, well, it's a great healing tool, but it's not the only tool. And so, what we really need to be educating on is how do you use cannabis in conjunction with other modalities like nutrition and acupuncture and meditation and exercise. It's this whole package that really gets us to getting people healed more quickly. So so that's what's different about our program than some of the others is this layering Um, And really the integration of these other modalities. So um, it's been five years now, and we have trained practitioners of all types, uh, nurses, health coaches, massage therapists, yoga instructors, acupuncturists, uh, people who already get the idea of alternative therapies. So cannabis isn't a big leap for them. And, um, that's been across the u s and in Canada. And, as I said earlier, we we have found that consumers who just really want to learn more have have also um, joined our program.
0: so it seems like there's two arms to this, though, right? There's the practitioner, and then there's the consumer or the. Can a curious consumer? Right.
1: I Don't love you love that, that name? Yeah,
0: <laughs> <laughs> I love that alliteration. I think it's brilliant, and I love the the curiosity piece to this because I'm. It's one of my four C's. I love curiosity because it's brilliant. But uh, it seems like there's two arms to this. There is the practitioner, and then there's the individual. Um, tell me what, as a practitioner, I would get from being a member or joining the Holistic Cannabis Academy, and then then the same for the consumer?
1: So as a practitioner, once you move through the entire program, there is a final exam. It's quite rigorous. Um, and upon passing that successfully, we then issue a certificate of training as a holistic cannabis practitioner. So that's really become uh, sort of the social proof for a practitioner to Uh, market themselves, then, you know, we have actually quite a few registered dietitians have gone through the program, because they and, and other practitioners see this as a way to differentiate themselves in the marketplace. So now here you are, as an RDN, who can add cannabis counseling into your scope of services, right? So that's a great way to build your business. Uh, For consumers, it really has been driven by people who themselves are seeking other ways to heal or have a family member, a friend. Um, And what we've done actually also for consumers is we also have these things called curated packages. So what we've done is we've taken some of the modules from the Academy and bundled them into smaller bite-sized chunks. So you can buy... Uh, a curated package that's called the Herbal and Nutrition Toolbox that just has four modules. Uh, or you could have the MMJ Primer, three modules. So so we've really made it more digestible for the consumer.
0: Okay, so that brings me to another question. It sounds like um, for the practitioner, they go through this certification program, so to speak, right? Yes. There's an exam at the end that gives them the certificate of training, which why do we call it a certificate of training and not a certification?
1: Well, that's a really good question because, you know, the the term certification implies that there is a governing board of types or um, a governing association. And in the world of cannabis where we are right now, no such thing exists. So. We were very careful actually in how we worded this uh, to not overreach or overstep. And that is why we call it a certificate of training. We have been successful actually in getting professional organizations, however, to approve our program for continuing education credit hours. And a perfect example is is our mothership, you know, the, the Academy for Nutrition and Dietetics, Um, grants 30 CEUs uh, for dietitians who take our program. And the same is true for the National Association for Nutrition Professionals. Their members can get CEs. Um, There's uh, some organizations in Canada who have granted it. So we've we've really gone after this. Um, and, And of course, we started with nutrition organizations because as a nutritionist that's a world i know and i really do think that cannabis counseling and guidance does belong in the wheelhouse of the nutrition professional it's it's a plant it's plant based medicine right so it's really no different than cooking with other botanicals and herbs it just happens to have this psychoactivity component which is what you know has sort of put it in another whole category from a a regulatory perspective.
0: I see. So for the practitioner, they're getting this certificate of training. Hopefully in the future, it sounds like there will probably be a certification. Um,
1: I'm sure we will get get there. Yes.
0: Probably soon. And, but for the consumer, they've got specific areas that that you will offer that they can really focus in on. Um, I like what you had mentioned with the MMJ, can you talk about what MMJ is? Just because <laughs> that that acronym right there is really important for people to hear.
1: Well, that's that's the shorthand acronym that that we use for medical marijuana MMJ. Okay. Um, and I know the lingo is sometimes something that people get tripped up on, right? Um, because we, those of us in the business, you know, we we throw around these terms, cannabis, marijuana. Ham, you know, and people are like, wait, wait, what are you, what are, what are you talking about? So just to be clear, the, you know, the term cannabis is more of the nomenclature that we use from a, um, a botanical point of view. And in the industry, I, I think you will find most people refer to it as cannabis. Marijuana has been sort of the street term that's been around for a long time, but essentially they, they are referring to the same thing. It, it is a, a plant that is THC-containing, and that is different from hemp, which typically is not a THC-containing product. And there's where we draw the delineation. THC, no THC. So, the delineation really is when we're talking about products that have less than 0.3% of THC. Those are the products that we see being sold um, CBD oils, tinctures, salves that are everywhere in the marketplace, right? In the grocery store, online, at the gas station. That is a whole different animal than the products we find in a licensed. Dispensary. So, just to be clear um, about that, those two big buckets.
0: So, let's talk a little bit about that. So, you've got the Holistic uh, Cannabis Academy. You provide something or something. You provide certificate of training for practitioners. You provide a coursework and information for consumers. Yeah. So that they know, I would imagine, that in some of those buckets of courses, they know that your information is providing them with, okay, where to get CBD versus THC, what to look out for. Is that right? Or give me a little bit of information there.
1: We, we really are training people to have a foundational understanding, number one, about what is this thing called the endocannabinoid system in our bodies, which most people have never heard that word it's a tricky one to pronounce and it was never taught typically in medical schools or none of us learned about that as dietitians most health practitioners have never learned about this and it's a critically important system of receptors that is really quite responsible for maintaining homeostasis and balance in our body so and that's one of the reasons why cannabis has rather far-reaching and diverse medical benefits because we do have these receptors throughout our whole body. And, And so sometimes people, I often get the question, well, oh, you know, well, how can this one thing, cannabis, you know, it can help with sleep, it can help with pain you know, uh, it helps with anxiety, depression, mood disorders. Well, that's because it it is this endocannabinoid system that, that, that we have with receptors throughout all parts of our body.
0: That's a good point that I'm going to ask also is why does something like CBD help so for so many different areas? Because what comes to my mind is that, well, wait a minute. This sounds like a miracle cure. If it's been a miracle cure, why has it been classified as a class one drug? That's not fair. So that there's something going on here. What's what's up?
1: Well, there there's a real division here, and we you know that's another whole discussion about the drug policy laws in this country historically. That's for another podcast. Yeah,
0: yeah. That's...
1: <laughs> but the, but but the short answer is that. There has been research done, very well-documented, peer-reviewed studies. You could go to PubMed and find thousands of studies on cannabis and a whole host of health conditions, and most of those studies have all been done out of the U.S., but they're there. And so our health system here has just recently uh, been willing to take a look at those and and, and, you know, honestly, this is one of those things, David, that has been driven by the ground up. Patients and consumers are the ones who really have kind of driven the interest in this because they really have gotten sick and tired of a lot of the side effects of their pharmaceutical drugs, and they're looking for something different. So it's been the patients, the consumers that are going into the doctor's office and saying, hey, What do you know about CBD? Do you think it will help me? And so this has forced the professional community to have to get on board. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's been an interesting, you know, grassroots kind of uh, movement when it comes to this emergence of, of cannabis and CBD products in our marketplace.
0: So because the endocannabinoid system has so many different receptors we have discovered that cannabis is involved in a lot of these very same receptors because they contain those chemicals that are attaching to those very receptors. So therefore that's why it's so helpful for various different complications like sleep, like um, what else, what is it beneficial for?
1: Pain management is the number one reason that people use cannabis medicinally. When you survey after survey, no matter where it is, the top three reasons people give for using cannabis is for pain management, to sleep better, and to manage anxiety slash depression.
0: That was the one that I was going to get to as well. It's interesting because I had uh, a client not so long ago say, well, you know, they say that marijuana is not addicting, but you look at those people that are using marijuana and they're just uh, they look like they're sloths and they're just you know, they're lost and blah, blah blah and so on and so forth. What, what would you say about that?
1: Well, I would say that that went out with the horse and buggy. Uh, <laughs> you know and and part of what we're dealing with here, let's face it, is there has been a stigma, right? And it has been eroding away but there's still a stigma for some people. So I I do get that. You know, and I get the jokes. In fact, I just spoke um earlier this week at the Colorado State Dietetic Association annual conference v- virtually, of course. And you know, somebody made a comment about you know, who's bringing the joints or, you know, something. And you know, and it's funny, but it it really just speaks to the fact that This is medicine, and we really have to look at it as medicine. But so we still have this stigma we got to get past. I'm fine, and once you know what makes people a believer is when they have had, you know, the turnaround themselves or somebody in their family, their friends, and they've seen it work, and that's when people get on board. They they got to see it for themselves.
0: You know you you. It, this is not the line of questions that I had coming into this, but I, I can't help but get myself around this a little bit because it does really speak to sort of the horse and buggy. Let's get in line with what what this is really uh, used for. The marijuana, at least, that people buy, the recreational marijuana that people buy, not medicinal, seems to have a significant amount more of THC than I remember when I was young, it probably didn't have back then. Am I wrong to believe that? And then before you answer that, the reason I'm asking that is because I'm trying to also not advocate, but further that client's comment about, well, you see if guys or people use marijuana, they're just lazy sacks of shit laying around and not doing anything. So, you know, what the heck's going on? Um, What would you say to that?
1: Well, it is true that there is a general movement right now in the cultivation world to grow cultivars or what most people would call strains. The technical proper term is cultivars to grow cultivars with higher percentages of THC. That's true. However, some of those high percentage products are being sold in medical dispensaries because some patients who have really severe pain need and can handle very high doses of THC. I have talked to patients who are using 500 milligrams of THC a day. Now, for most people, that would knock them unconscious. Some people function Okay. And it manages their pain. This is such an individual thing. It's, it's not like a pharmaceutical drug, you know, where there's a very standardized dose. There is so much trial and error that goes into using cannabis and it just varies from person to person. So what works for one person's pain, you know, would put somebody else under the table. So I wouldn't necessarily say that high percentages of THC are only for recreational use. Sometimes that's what a medical patient needs and they can handle it and they can go to work and function.
0: But going back to that lazy college guy or student or person that's smoking a ton of weed and just, you know, they're not getting anything done. And, you know, what about that?
1: that that exists. I, I mean, it it does. And I don't think, though, that that should be used as the whipping post for, or the reason for people not using cannabis medicinally. I, I mean, you know, you can make all the excuses in the world that you want and and you have to be a believer in this, too. I mean, i I have found that what what's occurring right now is that, the proliferation of CBD products in the marketplace, if, if people can understand them and make smart decisions, it's become an entry point for people. They 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 feel like they can dip their toe into it because, oh, I'm not gonna get high. So from that standpoint, the CBD, you know, plethora of products has been a good thing. The problem has been that there's so many brands and so many products out there people are just confused. They're like, just tell me what to buy. I mean, that's the question that I get. Tell me what to buy and how much to take, period. Because there's so much information. Uh, it, it, it's it's really a very confusing marketplace for most people.
0: Yeah, I'm glad that you're saying that because that's really what I'm trying to get at. I'm pushing on this a little bit because I know there's still there's still people out there that have this mentality that this is a schedule one drug and uh, it's, you know, it's wrong, it's evil, it's illegal, it's bad, it's not good. And so it falls a lot of that stigma there. And I think what, what you're trying to say is we've got to get better informed on this. It brings me to something else. I heard this on another podcast. This is a psychotherapist who brings on all of these great guests, these experts. This one expert is, and I forget his name, is a trauma specialist that works with cannabinoid as well as, what's the mushroom? It's uh, mycosilium, is that, what is, oh, psychosilium.
1: Yeah,
0: psilocybin. Psilocybin, thanks. Mm -hmm. I couldn't think of the names. Anyway, and he's actually using it for trauma treatment, specifically PTSD, and um, they have a program I think it's in Colorado where he where he's centered in, but they have a program where they have people go through and they have them use uh, psilocybin or oh, they also use uh, MMDA. So there's this expert that uses uh, ecstasy, but the, of course, the, the medical uh, type and then um, medical marijuana or medical cannabis. And they help people through trauma treatment in a much faster method, but they need to be well-trained in this because this is not something that you just, you know, you deal with trauma, give people some some cannabis and, oh, everything is going to be great. But, you know, it is important to to say what you're saying. There is some great uses and we really need to um, be open to a lot of this information.
1: Well, again, I, I can say that for most people that certainly people that have taken our program, they come to it because they've had a personal experience or somebody in their family, they, they saw the magic happened. And so that's what, you know, in life in general, right? We, you know, we, we 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 have to see the proof, and and when we see it in our own lives or someone that we care about, then the light bulb goes off. And and if not, then it's very easy to just kind of sl- slough it off and kind of go down, you know, the party line that's existed for so long on this topic. So, um, you know, and actually we have a module in the academy. Um, cannabis use as an exit drug, you know, the prevailing wisdom had been, Oh, it's an entry drug to harder drugs. Well, no, that that's not borne out by research. And in fact, just as you said, it's being used in a lot of rehab programs and we've had mental health counselors who worked in drug and alcohol addiction, take our program for that very reason to start using some of these new tools and techniques.
0: I love that. I think that that makes me think about a lot of clients that I have. So I'm going to go into one specific area because this has a lot more to do with nutrition. What about using uh, cannabis for people with an eating disorder? Is there benefits to that? Uh, How does it use? Can it be used? Is it a good idea? Is it not a good idea?
1: Well, that's a tricky question because when we get into different, and I'm going to Put it under the big umbrella of, for lack of a better word, of, you know, kind of a mood disorder. Um, and you know, within that realm, we can have people that are bipolar and schizophrenic and and have all sorts of emotionally seated issues. Working with cannabis can be tricky, and sometimes it can be very useful, and sometimes it can exacerbate the situation. So you really do have to be, um, if you're working in this um, psychotherapy area, you really have to understand the person's condition and understand the nuances of the individual cannabinoid components. So I'm going to give you an example. There's a cannabinoid, and there's like over hundred of them, right, in the plant, and we have flavonoids, and we have terpenes. There's a lot of goodies in this plant. But when we look at cannabinoids, um, there's one called THCV. So it doesn't act like regular THC, which is the component that primarily provides the high, but which also provides a lot of pain management. But THCV, a lot, some of the research that's been done on this, has shown that it can work by possibly two mechanisms when it comes to food intake. One of them is that it can be an appetite depressant at very low doses when you consume it. Conversely, if you take it at high levels, it can have the opposite effect, you know, the, the urban legend of the munchies, right? But there are research studies that show when taking at low doses, this THCV can be an appetite suppressant. And there's some other work that's been done that shows that the particular CB1 receptors, there's two primary kinds of um receptors in the body, CB1 and CB2. The CB1s are uh, concentrated a great deal in the brain and in the nervous system. And there's some work that's been done that suggests that this THCV can um, alter uh, some of the brain mechanisms that uh, seem to be altered in obese individuals. So this now gets into more of uh, you know, a neurological di- discussion. So there's some fascinating work that's going on. So this is a long-winded way of answering your question, I think, that it, these, these products, this plant could be useful in an eating d- disorder, but you really have to drill down and understand the nuances of some of these individual cannabinoids.
0: This is the reason why you have the certificate of training.
1: Well, I'd like to think I know a little bit more than the average bear.
0: (laughs) Well, but I mean, in reality, I work a lot in the eating disorder realm. And to think that cannabis is going to cure people of an eating disorder or is going to help with weight regain is, is a very narrow minded approach or idea partly because of what you're saying, there's, there's a lot of nuances to this. It's not just smoke this, eat more. Eating disorders in itself is extremely complex. Eating disorders also includes people that are not of the typical white, thin and emaciated body. You have women and men, you have people of smaller, larger body sizes that run the gamut. So to, to use the drug for a purpose or an intended idea is not important. I say this because I've had parents who have asked me about it and I and I try to give them a uh, an answer similar to yours. It's like, well, it's not that easy. First of all, the drug attaches to itself in different ways. I would also say something a little bit different. It's interesting that you bring up the whole uh, dosage. So at a low dose, it might decrease appetite at a high dose. It might increase appetite, hence the munchie, the you know the right. urban legend of the munchies. But there's also the individual, and so that individual might not have the same receptors heightened or or genetic predisposition to have the munchies by having large doses. Is that right? Is that something that we know?
1: Well. I'm glad you brought up this genetic makeup idea because the other thing I wanted to tell you about as we get even more sophisticated in this area is that now we are starting to have diagnostic tools that are pairing people's genetic makeup with what cannabinoid profile is going to be most appropriate for them. Now talk about personalized medicine, right? I
0: love that. That's, yeah, that's brilliant.
1: You know, that is so far at the other extreme of somebody thinking, oh, this is still just stoner stuff. So, and there's a big spectrum in the middle where, you know, everybody, people are at different points along this spectrum. But the fact is that we are now able to really look at someone's genetic makeup. Um, and also tying in what medications they may be taking and where there may be a cannabinoid drug interaction that needs to be considered. You know, there was prevailing wisdom. You know, a lot of people would say, oh, you can just smoke anything or take a tincture and it's fine. It's not going to interact with any drugs. Well, yes, it certainly could. So that, too, opens up another whole can of worms here that we have to be mindful of. So there's a lot to know, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> and and so as, as professionals can get more educated on this, I mean, we are we are going to start seeing eventually practitioners, I am sure, that really have a specialization. I mean, we're seeing it already at the master's degree level of programs. Um, there's a number of universities now that, you know, are offering cannabinoid medical science master's d- degrees, and that's a great thing. So finally, people are, you know, f- from a professional point of view, they're, they're going to understand what some of these real nuances are of, of prescribing the plant uh, in the most efficacious way for, for their patients.
0: Yeah, there's a lot there that we are not yet exploring. We're just
1: scratching the surface right now. Baby steps right now.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Uh, I found the name of that uh, expert. His name is Saj Razvi, and he's with the Psychedelic Somatic Institute.
1: In Colorado?
0: It's in Colorado. Yeah. Yeah. So, So very interesting. But I I I love what you're saying here. There's so much more to this that's that that we are just like you said. We're scratching the surface here on all right. of this. Um, I have another question. How does this all tie into nutrition? What about cannabis and nutrition? How does the where is the interplay? I know that you said that as dietitians we are poised to work with this because it's an herb. It's something that we ingest. We don't just smoke it. We use the oil or the byproducts or even some of the straight up leaves, um, into mm-hmm. recipes. Right. right. So I, I would imagine that that's the area, but is there other further interplay with nutrition and how does that work?
1: Well, the reason why it makes sense with nutrition is because cannabis, you know, as we know, <laughs> the vast majority of conditions that we have are are the result of inflammation, right? And we do nutrition therapy for people to very often reduce inflammation by the foods that we suggest. Well, cannabis is also a great anti-inflammatory. So here we now have two things that are working toward the same common goal. So again, I'm a big proponent of this layering Of modalities. So if you're suggesting to somebody a certain uh, diet plan or a style of eating that would be anti inflammatory, why wouldn't you want to also suggest that they could add cannabis or CBD into the mix and ideally, you know, get feeling better more quickly and without any side effects of a pharmaceutical drug? So many of the conditions that respond to nutrition therapy also respond well to cannabis. So yeah, they they go hand in hand.
0: Yeah, I wouldn't do anything with inflammation or anti-inflammatory responses using food per se. I wouldn't prescribe a diet in that regard. That's not the way I would do it, but there are dietitians that do that. I think that I would look at it more for the interplay with anxiety. And I think that anxiety in nutrition plays an enormous role. And I'm not talking about people with an eating disorder. I'm talking about anybody else, quite honestly. I think that people don't realize the emotional interplay food has in our lives and how the emotions in our lives have an effect on the choices of food that we make or how we digest food in and it of itself. Along those lines, I think that's that's something that's very also very interesting. I, I love the idea of the use of marijuana along with nutrition in this world, but I can't help but think there are people out there that are saying, well, you know, the FDA is not doing a good job. There's a ton of these. You said it a little while ago, you can go to a Uh, a grocery store or you can go to
1: a a gas station. Do you really want to buy your stuff at a gas station?
0: (laughs) Right. Right. And and so what about that? I mean, I love where this is going, but where's the regulation in this? And what about, I mean, I don't want it to go back to a class A drug, but, you know, or excuse me, um,
1: (laughs) schedule one,
0: schedule one drug, but, um, don't we need to to have some kind of guidelines, some kind of pr- protection, something that will help people get what they need?
1: Well, you know, I I think what's happening right now, this is you know, it's referred to in our business as the green rush, uh, and and there is a uh. rush of products, obviously, in the marketplace. And I'm talking now about CBD based products, which we buy everywhere. And I think what will happen. I think, like with every industry, um, when something's new, there's a ton of stuff thrown on the market, and uh, there's gonna be a real shakeout. And eventually a lot of those brands will cease to exist. They just won't be around either because they were just found to be ineffective. Um, they just couldn't maintain market share. You know, there'll be a variety of reasons. and i I think what will be left standing, is a core group of brands that will be developed and sold by reputable companies who are, you know, careful about where they're sourcing their hemp. They're doing the analysis that they're supposed to be doing. You know, it the products will be tested for heavy metals and pesticides and all the things that they should be. I mean, there, there, there is a checklist of best practices, but clearly not everyone is doing that right now. So unfortunately, it's incumbent on the consumer at this point, the burden is on them to do their homework and research these brands. And I always say to people, Call the company and, you know, ask them for a certificate of analysis. But the problem is people don't even know the questions to ask. It's yeah. like, you don't know what you don't know.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. As soon as you said call the company, I'm like, okay, but what do I ask them?
1: Right. So these are some of the, so again, this is just an educational process for the general public to understand what constitute a decent cbd product you know what kind of analysis should i expect to see should there be a knowledgeable customer service person on the other end of the line yes um can they answer my question about where the hemp is sourced can they tell me what the extraction process is that they used so and so for right now the 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 burden is on the consumer with all of this
0: so in other words Go to the holistic uh (laughs) cannabis academy. (laughs) (laughs) I'm here for free plugs. It's all good. Love it. Love it. Um okay. Uh I'm gonna go back. I'm gonna go to the other piece of the argument because I'm 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 the type of person that that sees both worlds here. At the same time, what I've seen probably in um the news and maybe on Netflix and documentaries, uh, not that those are reputable sources, of course, but I do see that there's a lot of industrialization of marijuana now and or cannabis, hemp. And so what's happened is that we're seeing a lot of these small businesses being gobbled up by larger and larger conglomerates. Uh, And it doesn't give the opportunity to provide a free resource to, well, I wouldn't say free, but I I can grow uh, marijuana in my backyard. I mean, here in Atlanta, the weather is pretty decent and uh, it could probably grow. okay. or I can grow it in my basement. Why can't I sell it? What would you say about that?
1: Well, because there is a regulatory and a licensed structure for selling this stuff. even though it's federally illegal, each state, of course, has their own licensing structure. So no, like you can't just make some moonshine in your basement and go legally sell it, right? Um, so so there is a regulatory framework in place that has practices and guidelines. I don't want people to get the impression that even these large uh, cultivators are just shooting from the hip and everyone's just doing their own thing because that's not the case. In all fairness to the industry, um, these large companies actually, I think in the long run are gonna be a good thing for this category. Because as businesses get bigger, they are under the scope of um, regulatory agencies, and they are, and they have to follow certain growing pr- practices um, and, and guidelines. So I think there was a lot more, you know, when it was all mom and pop dispensaries, you really had no idea where this stuff was coming from, how it was treated, what was how it was being handled. So, from my point of view, I I think this, and you called it the industrialization of cannabis, and and that's true. Um, the days of the mom and pop dispensary are gone. Uh, most dispensaries now are run by probably twelve to fifteen very large companies that operate at, on a multi state level. And
0: oh, so I was going to I was going to ask that. So the twelve. 12- conglomerates that work in all the States in the United States that have legalized marijuana.
1: Yes. And the brands may be different, you know, so Mm. it may be the same umbrella company, but, but the brand or the retail stores in California may be called one thing. They may have a different name in Colorado and a different name again in Florida. But my point is that yes, um, there has been a great consolidation in this industry, and and most of the business now is being conducted at this very large corporate level.
0: Yeah, I, I'm going to throw in the racism into that, though. Um, again, this is me seeing two sides of the coin. I heard or saw, I think, either in the documentary about how cannabis in many regards was uh, cultivated by a lot of small, either indigenous uh, or um, marginalized uh, populations in the United States or in in the world. In Jamaica, for example, they used the uh, one farmer who had a a small field of marijuana and was essentially. Uh, closed down because a white man came into Jamaica and uh, bought a whole bunch of, of of property and land and started cultivating marijuana and distributing it and selling it on a, in, in a legal manner. Same thing I think happened in California if I'm not mistaken. And there's a lot of, again, white white, uh hair white men that are coming in with big dollars and are essentially um closing out a lot of ethnic and racial minorities i don't like to use the word minorities but that's the terminology um from being able to uh uh, benefit from the very same product and that i guess that's where i was getting to with those small mom and pop operations you're saying what's happening is, is there is a consolidation that's happening and it's only going to continue. Yes. Right. Right. Yes. And so, okay. That's what, that's what I'm hearing. That's what's interesting. But I, I guess uh, there is a plus and a minus to regulations which is what I'm getting to.
1: Yes. And I would agree with you. And particularly in California, there has been a lot of dissension among uh, farmers who yes, have been growing the plant for D- decades. And we're really responsible for the, the growth of that industry in California. And um, so there's a lot of dissension. I I absolutely would agree with you. And it just varies. You know, some states like California just have a deeper history with, with the plant than states that are newer to it. So um, there are definitely small businesses that have Gotten booted um, be, because of this, because of this consolidation. Well, and I will say, however, at least in the CBD category now, in terms of products, I have seen some terrific brands that are really being developed and sold by, you know, a mom and pop s- setup. Uh, one of the women who did a number of modules for us. Um, she's out of Oregon and she happened to have a real deep history in Ayurvedic medicine. She's got an awesome line of CBD tinctures and, and other products that, you know, are using her botanical Ayurvedic expertise. So there are people like that who who are still, who are hanging in there. And I think there will always be a market for brands that really are, are made, you know, from the hands Um, of, of the founders, so to speak. And, and there's, there's people who do appreciate that and do want it. So those brands are, are out there. You just, you know, they, they aren't the brands being sold at the gas station.
0: Do you talk about some of those brands uh, in your courses?
1: You know, we, we don't talk brand specific because it is such a drastically fast changing part of the business what I would talk about today would be obsolete in Mm. two months and because what's available in one part of the country varies. I mean, this is such Mm. a regional uh, thing uh, in terms of the distribution and the products. And it's just, so that, that's something I get asked about a lot. And, um, but it just isn't practical for us in, in a, in a self-paced program like ours.
0: Yeah. We really need to make it federally legal. Don't we?
1: It, it will happen. I mean, the train, I believe, has left the station. You know, with this last election, we added uh, Arizona, uh,
0: New, New Jersey, Jersey
1: and mm-hmm. Montana mm-hmm. Uh, to full legalization. And Mississippi added medical and South Dakota added both medical and adult use. Mm. So, I mean, every time, every election cycle, this is you know we're we're one step at a time
0: okay i'm going to go into some basic questions and then we'll we'll wrap up but i want to ask what would you say to someone who hasn't used uh, uh cannabis and wants to use it for something say they want to have uh use cannabis for back pain or shoulder pain or leg pain knee joint pain or maybe for anxiety or for their sleep what would you recommend for them as a practitioner
1: Well, my mantra is always go low and go slow. So, you know, right out of the gate. And again, this would depend on somebody's body size, but, you know, two and a half milligrams of a THC containing product, five milligrams, that's the most, actually two and a half would be a very moderate, what we would call a micro dose um to to try and you could try that as a tincture under your tongue for which you will get quite immediate um relief you know eating an edible because of the way it's metabolized just has a much longer onset that could be 45 minutes plus before you get any relief so depends on you know if you're in acute pain you need something right now Probably a tincture is going to be a good bet. Uh, If you're looking to sleep um, and something that uh, you don't need an immediate response from and you want more of a longer duration to keep you sleeping, um, you know, then maybe an edible of some sort an hour before you go to bed would be a good idea. So it depends on what your need is and whether it's an acute need or not.
0: When you go to these dispensaries, do they provide that information there?
1: Most of the dispensaries now have quite knowledgeable sales staff. That has gotten much better. In fact, a couple of years ago, one of the large dispensary chains in Florida came to us and we created sort of a a customized set of modules for them specifically to train their sales staff. Because these and that is one of the upsides of as these companies have gotten larger they're standardizing things and they want all their sales staff to be saying the same thing across the counter. So they are now educating their staff. You didn't see that so much years ago. So that's a good thing, right? Um
0: but so that yes, but that I, but that's a th- th- that would be in states that actually had dispensaries and like for example Georgia we don't have dispensaries.
1: No, we, no, we have right. places
0: that sell CBD. But yeah.
1: Well, and you know, that, that's, that's a total crap shoot there, depending on who's right. working behind the counter. So if, if we're not talking about a dispensary s- scenario, again, if you're just going into a whole foods or uh, you're buying something online at Amazon, um, you
0: or know, you're going now, to a, a CBD place or something. Yeah
1: you're on your own. you know a lot of the supplement brands that certainly even those of us as practitioners uh, have uh, who create um, practitioner only brands of supplements, they now too uh, have CBD brands that have other botanicals and products in them. So there's a level of um, I would say some due diligence. As a practitioner, for example, if you were interested in carrying a line of products, that would be a good place to go do some research with those brands. I would have a little bit better sense of confidence with them
0: because yeah, they've been see- in the
1: supplement business. They 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 know how the game is played and yeah, the rules s- that have to be followed.
0: Yeah. You see, that that's one of the things that that why I go back and forth with the two different arguments about regulation, because- to me, the FDA hasn't done enough with supplements, and supplements are a crapshoot in them of themselves. Even these very large um, r- supposedly reputable companies, you don't know what you get and you don't know how you get and they're all they're all self-regulated. They're not right. You know, they don't have anybody in coming in and inspecting their product and their services. So that's why I was mentioning I was asking about, you know, you know, can you go to a CBD retailer and get that same level of information? I guess what I'm hearing with this is you really you need to do like you said, you need to do your own due diligence, you need to do your work. So again, it falls on the the individual, but at the same time there are professionals like the ones that you are providing the certificate of training that have a little bit better knowledge of all of this. What about physicians? Do you have physicians that have gone through your program? <laughs> so,
1: just a handful. And the reason why it hasn't been more is because in States where physicians, uh, are able to be the recommender, that's what they call it. If you can, uh, authorize a medical marijuana card for someone, um, there's a benchmark that each state has come up with, with how many hours that physician has to go through uh, a training. Well, the reality is that threshold is quite low in many states. Hmm. So quite frankly, a physician can sort of check off the box in many states, by doing four hours, six hours. And, mm. you know, do they want to put in 30 hours with us? Probably not. Now, having said that, there are certain physicians and DOs and naturopaths who are doing their homework. And really, there are some very knowledgeable doctors out there now who they really are, have built their whole practice around this. And that's what they've become known for.
0: But there's also still a very, very negative stigma around CBD or cannabis or marijuana, isn't there?
1: Again, I think it depends on the region that you're in. Not necessarily. I mean, I know some physicians who really have fabulous reputations and because they're doing it right and their patients are coming out of there. Very pleased with the results, and again, it's not like these docs are just saying, uh, "Go smoke a joint, and I'll see you later." <laughs> it's it's this multi-disciplined approach, right? Although,
0: I more physicians should be saying that though. <laughs> <laughs> I,
1: I, I mean, so so there's doctors that are just yes, you can go someplace and pay whatever it is they're charging, and they'll write you uh, the authorization so you can get your medical card, and away you go, and they could care less. And then there's other docs who really understand this endocannabinoid system and how the, the mechanisms work with a whole host of conditions. So they're not going to say it's going to cure you, but boy, it sure can provide a great deal of relief in conjunction with these other therapies.
0: Donna, this was fantastic. I've got more questions than we have time for. i I need to have you on the show again. The information you've provided has been fantastic. I can I really can continue talking about more of this with you. All right. Now comes that little fun question that I had I warned you about. Oh, I'm you might, scared. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's no big deal. It's just a fun question. All right, let's play make believe. If you okay. were stranded on an island and this was the last meal that you were gonna have, and you can have it in any way you want, and anybody, anybody famous could make it for you, what would it be?
1: The person or the food?
0: The food. <laughs> oh,
1: <no>. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I have to ask that question all the time, too. <laughs>
1: I, I thought I was like, who do I want to be stranded with? Sorry, um, the food. <laughs> um, I am a total ice cream freak.
0: Ah, any specific flavor?
1: No, I love them all.
0: Ah, but it's okay. got to
1: be really good ice cream. You know, I yeah. I, I don't want any cheesy store-bought stuff. Uh, but I love a uh, I I love the creamy mouthfeel and texture of of ice cream. That's like my go-to treat. Okay. So that's my okay. thing.
0: <laughs> All right. I love it. I love hearing people's answers. It's always great. I want people to realize.
1: Well as as a dietitian, did did you think I was going to say kale or something like that? <laughs>
0: No. In fact, it's rare for the dietitians that I've had on my show to talk about a, you know, a vegetable or, or a fruit or something. It's usually something decadent or something hyper palatable. Right. <laughs> awesome. Donna, thank you so much. I appreciate you for being on the show and for all your wisdom. Thanks so much for being on. Are, is there any last thoughts that you want to leave our listeners?
1: I want people to go out there and learn what they can about this topic, open up your mind a little, be receptive and take baby steps. And it's not for everybody, but it might be for you.
0: I love that you said baby steps, girl. I'm with you 100% there. That's the name of this podcast. Mm -hmm. One small bite. (laughs) Um, Oh, by the way, where can people find you?
1: Well, um, if you want to get in touch with me directly, my email is really the best thing and I can send you links to materials or any of the stuff that we may have talked about today. So that would be Donna Shields and that's S-H-I-E-L-D-S, Donna Shields, L-L-C at Gmail.
0: Also, don't, uh, that that's easy. I'll put that on my show notes as well.
1: Okay.
0: Um, what about website?
1: Um, You can check out Holistic Cannabis Academy, or I also have another site because I do a lot of consulting business. um, And that's DonnaShields.net. And there's a contact form there. So you can reach me that way too.
0: Awesome. Perfect. Great. And again, I'll have all of that in my show notes as well. Donna, thank you so much. I appreciate you for being on and uh, look forward to chatting with you again soon.
1: This was fun. Thanks, David.
0: You're welcome. See you soon. That was just some great wisdom and information from Donna Shields, registered dietitian, nutritionist, and co-founder of the Holistic Cannabis Academy and also a cannabis consultant. I just want to say thank you very much to you, the listener, for tuning in. I'd love to hear your feedback. Remember, if you get a chance, please go to the review section either on Apple Podcasts on an iPhone or in iTunes if you are using the iTunes app on an android type device and go to the review section leave us some stars and a review we'd love to hear from you and remember if you haven't already go ahead and subscribe to the show so you get these episodes downloaded directly to your device and podcast player of choice okay folks until next time remember chop that diet mentality feel your body and nourish your soul hasta luego